My name is Ed Wilmington, and I am the director of the Fred Bach Institute of Music of the Brehm Center for Worship, Theology, and the Arts at Fuller Theological Seminary. Welcome to Fuller Studio's audio stream of sermons drawn from campus chapels and preachers throughout our extended community. This morning's scripture passage is from the book of Romans, chapter 3, verses 21 through 27. And here Paul is arguing that there is no boasting in the law to justify, but rather the law holds everyone accountable to God. Hear the word of the Lord. But now a righteousness from God, apart from law, has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. He did this to demonstrate his justice, because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time, so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Where, then, is boasting? It is excluded. On what principle? On that of observing the law? No but on that of faith. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. I to admit to you this morning that I don't know much about microphones. Uh, No, that is that I am a new beginning junkie. I love new beginnings. I love new years, new quarters, new classes. I see potential. I see all the things that I can do and get done. I was the kid. I was the college student. I was the grad student. I am even now the weary mom and professor who greets each new year and makes my list of things that I can do in the new year. The articles I can write, the books I can read, the new classes I could teach, the closets I could organize, the yoga pastor post, the yoga poses I could master. And this week is a special time. It is not only the beginning of the new year, but it was actually Chinese New Year on Monday. It is somewhat the beginning of a new corner. And since the presidential inauguration last week, it does feel like a beginning of a new era, or so we hope. So the new beginning junkie in me gets really excited at moments like this. So when Doug graciously asked me to share in chapel, I was excited, especially that it was January. I thought I can impose my new beginning junkiness on the whole seminary and encourage you all to think of all the things you can do with your new year and new quarter. No, seriously, I was honored for about a minute. And then pure panic set in. (laughs) Keeping with the theme of chapel this year, sharing the gospel, sharing our lives, I will honestly share with you that I thought, what do I have to say right now? I had a very busy fall quarter as a new member of the faculty teaching a couple classes. I'm a mom of three young children. 
I've been chronically sick for three months and really sick for the last three weeks. And I thought, what do I have to say? So as any panicked preacher will do, they sit and pray. And I tried to listen to what God would have me say on this occasion. I came before God with the idea of fresh start, new beginning, starting off the year on what's focused ahead. And I sat and I was struck. In the silence, I heard, it's already been done. It was like a booming whisper. Pam, it's already been done 2,000 years ago on the cross. And isn't that the truth? No matter how much we do, no matter how righteous we try to convince ourselves, our families, our professors, our friends, no matter how much we think we should accomplish, or how much we perceive that others think we should accomplish, we have been made righteous through Christ. Paul writes the Romans, for all sin, all sin and fall short of the glory of God. None of us, not even with great grades, great writing, great ministry skills, can come before God on our own merits. I found a quote by Dr. Chalmers in Calvin's commentary on the Romans. He writes, the foundation of your trust before God must be either your own righteousness out and out or the righteousness of Christ out and out. If you are to lean upon your own merit, lean upon it wholly. If you are to lean upon Christ, lean upon him wholly. The two will not amalgamate together. And it is the attempt to do so which keeps many a weary and heavy-laden inquirer at a distance from rest, and at a distance from the truth of the gospel. Maintain a clear and consistent posture. Stand not before one before God with one foot upon a rock and the other upon a treacherous quicksand. We call you to lean not so much as the weight of one grain or scruple of your confidence upon your own doings. Leave this ground entirely. Come over entirely to the ground of a Redeemer's blood and a Redeemer's righteousness. Yes, standing on our own merit, standing on my few journal articles and few books, that is like standing on quicksand. Though there is really something timely about the image of quicksand, so much of the reality around us, even this week, feels like quicksand. We read that 70,000 jobs just disappeared. More banks are closing. People's homes and retirement plans are vanishing. So quickly and often so tragically, our efforts vanish as if into quicksand. As Paul wrote, where then is the boasting? By the law that requires our works? No, by the law that requires our faith. They often say that your greatest strength is your greatest weakness. Well, this new beginning junkie in me, this is very true. On one hand, it can be so good and strong, bringing focus and intention to a particular season. But on the other hand, it plays into the achievement addict in me because the emphasis becomes what on what I do. The part of me that loves to get things done, to check things off the list, to run my own show. The part of me that needs to prove to myself, to you all, to God, that I am okay. This achievement addiction, it's, it's serious. I've actually officially been diagnosed, or at least tagged. 
Two weeks ago, at my dear friend Netta's 41st birthday, um, she gathered her closest girlfriends for a beautiful meal that was catered in her home. But in order to get to go to the party, she made us fill out the Strength Finder inventory. <laughs> I'm sure some of you have done that. But she created not only a festive and fun celebratory occasion, but a very meaningful time where she had each of her friends reflect upon what their own strengths were. And she was audacious enough to affirm us in front of all of our friends for the person God created us to be. Well, taking the inventory, my top strength was achiever. A lot of the strength is really positive, and I'm the girl to get the job done. But parts of it is a real struggle for me spiritually. Part of the description reads, no matter how much you feel you deserve a day of rest, if the day passes without some form of achievement, no matter how small, you feel dissatisfied. You have an internal fire burning inside you. It pushes you to do more, to achieve more. After each accomplishment is reached, the fire dwindles for a moment. But very soon, it rekindles itself, forcing you toward the next accomplishment. This description gets at why Dr. Chalmers wrote that those who stand on their own merit, they are weary and heavy laden and kept away from rest and the heart of the gospel. Well, for those of us who fit that description, there's good, we're motivated, but there's bad, we're often distracted. The focus becomes on what we are trying to achieve or on what we're trying to master not the master. Did you hear that? The focus becomes on what we're trying to master, not the master. Now, I know I'm not alone. I know you fellow achievement addicts are out there. You love to get things done. You do the extra credit, even if you don't need to. (laughs) You make lists. You love crossing things off. You even put things on the list you've already done just to have the pure pressure (laughs) of crossing them off. Well, Jim Furrow in the School of Psychology and I jokingly call these shameless. We successfully generate lists that there's no way we could even accomplish, not in a quarter or a year, but it just gives us something to achieve towards. Well, as a self-confessing type A and achievement addict, our passage today is very important to me. It is like a soul, excuse me, like an oasis to my soul. Paul says, this righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ, To all who believe, all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus, not by Pam King's efforts, not by your efforts. Righteousness is given through faith, not faithful observance observance to God's laws, but through faith. Now that is the ultimate fresh start. I titled this talk, Fresh Not... Yes, I have got a very stuffy nose lately. (laughs) I titled this talk, Fresh Start, not only in reference to a new beginning, but because Christ gives us the ultimate fresh start. And for those of you who are old enough to remember, Fresh Start used to actually be a laundry detergent. Now, now I'm talking before the trendy method. Um, I'm talking way back before iPods iPhones, before DVDs, if you can remember back then. But Fresh Start was a detergent. In fact, it was one of the first concentrated detergents. So a little does a lot. 
And it was, I, I found this on Wikipedia, the true source of truth and authenticity. Uh, it was marketed to women who want to do more with their life than laundry. Sounds like me. Wanting to do more. But I have to say, as a mom of three little kids, I have a very special appreciation for laundry detergent these days. My one-year-old Jocelyn is just learning to eat by herself. And I'd say about 30% makes it in the mouth. And my three-year-old Reese, he's about the cutest kid alive, but he is probably the messiest child alive. And then even aided, my precocious in particular, first oldest child at five, constantly has either honey or hot cocoa or something dripping from his mouth onto his white uniform. So let me continue to date myself. Some of you will remember Charlie's Angels. Okay, I'm not talking Cameron Diaz and Lucy Liu. I'm, I'm talking Farrah Fawcett, <laughs> Kate Jackson. These were the idols of my childhood. Well, if you remember, they were infamous, right, for walking around like this? Well, that's me in the house, but with spray and wash. <laughs> I'm ready to get any spot on your shirt, on the couch, or on the rug. I love spray and wash. The kind with the red label, that's the most powerful. <laughs> Well, this relentless effort of mine to keep things clean around the house is really indicative of my efforts to keep myself clean, to keep myself righteous, to do more. Now, I'm not saying Jesus is a kind of divine detergent that washes away our sins, which in some way might be true. But it's much more complicated and much more wonderfully complex than that. In fact, it's rather a dirty, messy business. For we are justified through a death. Jesus Christ shed his blood for us. Paul wrote to the Romans, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of blood. Dr. Chalmers imported to leave the ground of personal achievement and come over entirely to the ground of a redeemer's blood and a Redeemer's righteousness. When the Jews celebrated the Day of Atonement, the sacrifice of blood was made in the Holy of Holies, in the inner sanctum of the temple. How different was the character of Christ's death? His blood was not just shed for the Jews in the Holy of Holies. His blood was shed publicly once and for all, is the eschatologically decisive sin offering. When Jesus died and said, it is finished, not only was the temple curtain torn, but the shame list was torn as well. Yes, it is finished. The rat race of righteousness is over. Yes, this is a very, very messy business of sacrificial blood. And that is what ushers in the new covenant And it is through faith, not faithful attention to the rules of the covenant, that Christ renders us just by transferring to us his righteousness. It is not by what we do, but by faith in Christ that we are made righteous. Christ takes our sin in exchange for his sin, his righteousness. And thus, we are the children of the new covenant. Our sins have been paid for. I came of age, so to speak in ministry uh, in the early 90s, um, in a very seeker-friendly era. I don't know if any of you remember that. But it was very popular among large evangelical churches to reach out to the non-churched and to be seeker-sensitive. 
And so as an intern, I often heard things like, don't sing about the blood of the lamb. That will freak people out. So maybe that's not where you start with the unchurched. Uh, But the reality of the gospel is, it is messy. Jesus shed blood. And this is the message of the new covenant. Now, we all are and all are in a seminary, and we often study these things. And things like New Covenant can be very abstract thoughts. I had a very profound moment a few months ago. I actually had the honor of baptizing my children at my church, Knox Presbyterian Church. And our pastor, Matt Caldwell, allowed me to actually sprinkle the water and declare in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit that my children were children of the New Covenant. That was so moving. I don't think there's anything more that a parent could wish, that their children's sins would be forgiven and that the Holy Spirit would move them towards faith. It was in that moment of sprinkling in the water and declaring the words of them as children of the new covenant that I literally lost it. So Christ is more than a divine detergent to give us the ultimate fresh start. Christ acted in a mysteriously messy way to make us righteous before God. So then how do we think about a fresh start in January 2009 at the beginning of the 4,707th year by the Chinese calendar and at the beginning of the 44th presidency? Our president has called us to a reset of sorts. In his inauguration speech, President Obama declared, the time has come. What is required of us is a new era of responsibility, a recognition on the part of every American that we have duties to ourselves, our nation, and the world. He has called us to hard work and honesty, courage and fair play, tolerance and curiosity, loyalty and patriotism. This is the price and promise of citizenship, he says. He has called our country to a reset, and rightfully so. Well, today, what is your personal reset? How or where do you need to reset? The beginning of the year is a great time for a reset or a reboot. We can rest knowing that the ultimate reset, the eschatological reset, has already occurred. It is done. The rat race of righteousness is thankfully over. So again, what is your reset for 2009? Mine, once again, this is a recurring theme in my life, is to move out of the posture of the achievement addiction. I know I need to focus personally on what Christ did, not on what I can do. I am also very confronted at this season in my life that I need a profound reset. My body is a wreck. I really have been sick a lot. And I realize that my spiritual life has become quite abstract. In preparing this talk, I felt very convicted that as a a professor who does research on the science and theology of spiritual development, that my spirituality has become rather abstract and too often relegated to the realm of ideas and theory. So after thinking and writing and discussing spirituality so much, I realized I need a reset and I need to encounter the person of Jesus, the real person of Jesus, who shed his real blood. For me, in my chronic achievement addiction, this is the heart of the gospel. 
for me that I wanted to share with you today, that it is done. Some days I get it, but honestly, a lot I don't. I even realized in preparing this talk, I went back and read through some sermons I've given in the past, and I realized I tend to preach on the same topic, <laughs> masqueraded by different titles, using different illustrations. <laughs> and my first thought was, couldn't I preach on more? More is a common theme in my life. But I realized that if I was going to preach one thing in and through my life, it would be that it is done, that Christ shed his blood on the cross for me, that my sins are forgiven, and that I am a beloved daughter of God. What is your reset? And also an important question, how do you get it? I was a student here a few moons ago, but I remember what it was like. Quarters go to zero to 60 really fast around here. Here it's January, and I'm talking about new beginnings, and I know you're already thinking about midterms. In this relentless pace of the academic year on this quarter system, how do you reset? What triggers you? Is it a cup of coffee with a close friend? Is it participation in a church community? Is it a great piece of music? Is it a hike up in the San Gabriel Mountains? Whatever it is, get it. I know you have a lot to do. I know. I assign it. <laughs> But take time to reset and remember that the eschatological reset, the ultimate fresh start, has already happened. Don't get overwhelmed by the Greek, the theology, the anthropology, the neuropsychology that you are trying to master. Keep your eyes on the master. And then your feet will not be on sinking sand, but will be firmly planted on the solid rock. And as Paul wrote, for where then is the boasting? In the law that requires works? No, in the law that requires faith. Thanks be to God. been listening to a production of Fuller Studio. Fuller Studio provides articles, podcasts, videos, and other resources for a deeply formed spiritual life. Subscribe on your favorite podcast app or visit us at fuller.edu slash studio.